Welcome to Walk Through the Bible, Susan Michaels' 12-month journey through the most exciting book on the planet. It will transform your life one page at a time. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes that will ignite your faith and bring your Bible to life. Now, let's join our host, Susan Michael. Hey there, and welcome back. This is week five of the Walk Through the Bible series. You know, I hope you're enjoying your reading so far. Uh, we've been so excited at the number of people that have signed up to walk through the Bible with us this year. And some of you may still be waiting to get your daily Bible. I just want you to know that uh, make sure you're using your reading guide because there we tell you exactly what scriptures we're reading each week. Um, and so you can still be reading along with us while you wait for your Bible. Um, so let's get started. This week, we're going to be talking about how God proposes marriage to his people. And, um, you know, in the Daily Bible, it's, it, we're under the heading now of the establishment of a nation. So we're reading in the Daily Bible, pages 121 through 157, and that's the dates of January 29 through February the 4th. That's what we're covering this week. So uh, last week, we went through the amazing, miraculous uh, deliverance from Egypt and the parting of the waters at the Red Sea. And we left the Israelites in the desert saying, OK, so what do we do now? And um, so, you know, God provided water for them, meat. He began to reveal himself to them, he said, I'm the God that heals you. And um, and then um, interesting little tidbit I'll tell you is that uh, the manna that that they uh, found on the ground each morning, which was their bread, uh, manna in Hebrew means uh, what is it? So it's like what's that? Every morning they were eating what's that? For forty years they ate what's that? I think that's kind of funny. Um, but obviously you can try to come up with a natural explanation of this stuff, but uh, they fall far short. It was certainly miraculous, so much so that they actually kept a piece of the manna and put it in a jar and it was kept in the Ark of the Covenant for many years because it was just a testimony to this amazing miracle of God in the wilderness. So it was definitely miraculous. Um, another interesting story uh, in those first few chapters where they're in the wilderness is that they had to fight these people called the Amalekites. Now, if you can imagine this, this people, the Israelites, have been slaves in Egypt uh, for at least 100 years, maybe more. So. They're downtrodden. They've been malnourished. They've been mistreated. They are a broken people. And here now they have to fight a war. They don't know how to fight wars. Um, so it's interesting the, the story, which is, of course, that as long as Moses was raising his hands uh, before God, they were winning. And so uh, the real message here is that they had they needed to rely on God and that God uh, could bring about the victory on their behalf because they really didn't know uh, what they were doing, I'm sure. Um, 
And then we have the return of Moses's wife and his two children are brought to him by his father-in-law. And his father-in-law gives Moses some really wise advice. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I've had to remind myself of these instructions given to Moses, very, very wise, how to delegate and how to set up other people to handle other areas. And that way, Moses did not have to handle every single problem brought to him by every single person. And so he removed a lot of the burden off of his shoulders through delegation and organization and providing the leadership. Uh, to those other people. So now we're uh, in the Sinai, and it says that they camped at the foot of the mountain. And um, in Exodus the nineteen, nineteen, it says that you now you've you've seen what I did. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the proposal that God makes to the Israelite people. If you will obey me and walk with me, you will be my treasured possession above all other peoples of the earth. And their response was, we will do everything the Lord has said. That is what I refer to as the marriage. God was proposing marriage. It was proposing a covenantal relationship that said, this is what you will do, and this is what I will do. And the people of Israel said yes. So God gives uh, Moses, the Ten Commandments, and um, with no less drama, we have lightning and thunder, and we have fire, and we have trumpet sounds, and it says the trumpet got louder and louder, and the people were so afraid of God because of this, um, uh, you know, just amazing show of force, and um, shook the elements. And so Moses is before God, and then uh, at another time, Moses takes with him uh, the 70 elders, and Aaron, and Nadab, and uh, Abihu, or Abihu, and it says they all saw God. So God was there on the mountain. Now, uh, it's interesting, why was God on the mountain? Um, well, the ancient peoples believed that you know, that's where they met with God, was on the mountains. Maybe it was a, a place in between heaven and earth, like the pyramids we talked about earlier. Um, and so the mountaintops became, the high places became places of worship in the whole pagan world. But here the God of Israel comes down on the mountain uh, to meet with his people. And he would only allow certain ones to meet with him. And he called them up the mountain. Uh, to meet with him. And uh, then he gives instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And um, he describes how to build an ark of the covenant. And it had a cover. And uh, the daily Bible that a lot of you are reading through 
uses the NIV or the New International Version translation. And that translation calls the cover over the Ark of the Covenant to be the atonement cover. Um, in Hebrew, I think it's kaparit. Um, in, and um, so it, it's a cover and it has to do with atonement, but I love the translation in the King James Version and the New King James Version of calling it the mercy seat. Atonement is mercy, and it's out of the mercy seat uh, where God would meet with his people, and there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The instructions on building the tabernacle, what are the lessons that we take away from it? Uh, first of all, you can do a whole study about all the elements in the tabernacle and find deep spiritual significance and meaning. And we don't have time to go into that today. Um, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful study. And I will say that in Israel, um, when you go with me down in the south of Israel in the desert, there is a replica of the tabernacle. It was actually built by a colleague of mine um, the ICEJ actually assisted with the early funding of building that tabernacle, and it, it's now down in the uh, south of Israel. And it's really pretty amazing to go in there and see. It's really made to specifications and made the way uh, they were instructed uh, to make the tabernacle. Um, but each element has a spiritual significance. Um, but the, the whole um, issue of the tabernacle is that God was showing his people that, number one, he wanted to tabernacle with his people. He wanted to dwell with his people. He didn't want to be up on the mountaintop while they're down in the valley. He wanted to be down there with them. So he's instructing them how to build a place that he can inhabit. And in the building of it, it had to be built just right because of, of two things that the Israelites were learning. One was the purity that was needed because of the holiness of God. He's a holy and righteous God, and he cannot mix with sin. So they needed to be pure. And the whole uh, approaching of God in the tabernacle had to be from a place of purity. Secondly, that God is such a wonderful God that he requires our worship. And so we need to enter his presence in worship and reverence of him and in awe of him. And so this design of the tabernacle was to include both the, the purity aspect and the worship and awe aspect of our approach of God. Of course, the tabernacle was a shadow of the a temple that was later built that was a permanent dwelling. The tabernacle was a, a temporary dwelling. It was a tent type dwelling so that it could be packed up and moved when the Israelites moved. Um, but the presence of God would go with them. Later, um, the temple was built on the same type of design and specifications because of the deep spiritual richness of the way God instructed them to build his dwelling place. The temple became his dwelling place on Mount Moriah there in Jerusalem. And of course, we can, as Christians, we can find all kinds of significance 
in the elements of these for us spiritually as the church being the uh, house of God, the tabernacle of God, that we are a temple. Uh, so, and God wants to dwell with us. And so we can learn from this tabernacle in the desert the need for our lives to be pure because he's a holy God and our need to approach him in worship uh, because he is such an awesome God. And um, it's interesting in the story that we're reading this week, once they did build the tabernacle and everything was finished, then it said that it was filled with the presence of God. And then God spoke to Moses from the mercy seat. Wow, isn't that beautiful? That's what it's all about. And we can enjoy spiritually uh, building our lives as a temple of the Holy Spirit and having those moments where we sense his presence and his fullness in our lives and hearing him speak to us because of the blood of Jesus and because of the place of mercy that we stand in. So pretty rich stuff. Takes a lot more uh, going, digging into it. We'll, we'll keep moving. Because in our story, God tells them how to build the tabernacle. And then he tells Moses, you better get down there because I can hear your people. And this is really, I chuckle when I read this part of the, of the story. Because Moses, he's gone for 40 days. He's gone for so long that the Israelites give up on him. I mean, they think he's died because they're afraid of God anyway. And they saw the lightning and the thunder and the fire and the, the heard all the sound and, and uh, they were afraid. So they have assumed at this point that Moses died. They turn to his brother Aaron and they say, listen, we need another God. That God obviously is not coming through. We need another God. We need to uh, build one uh, from Egypt. And they were re-entering into the pagan worship that they saw there in Egypt. And so uh, God sends Moses down. And I laugh about this when I read it because the Lord said to Moses, now go down there because your people, if you remember before this, God said, if you'll obey me, you'll be my people. But here he tells Moses, your people, the ones you brought up out of Egypt, uh, they've become corrupt. And uh, you better get down there. And Moses intercedes and he says, why should your anger burn against your people? <laughs> and then he tells him, remember the servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses goes down. He sees the golden calf. He hears all the partying. And he gets so mad that he throws down the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, and they break. Now, what's interesting here is the idea of two tablets. And um, it's believed that the two tablets were not different. It wasn't like five commandments on one and five on the other. It's believed that uh, they were a duplicate because that was the way a covenant was uh, done at the time. And so one covenant was for uh, one uh, copy was for one covenant party and the other copy was for the other party. So in our story about the Israelites, of course, later God 
redoes the two tablets and uh, the Ten Commandments are back in play. Uh, but one copy goes in the Ark of the Covenant. So that's God's copy. And the other copy is for the people. And so this is like the agreement. And uh, he has his copy. They have theirs. And if a covenant is broken, then the tablets with the agreement on it should be broken. And, that, and so Moses throws them down in anger. But he's also showing you've broken the covenant. Uh, the covenant is broken. And, of course, they repent, and um, he goes back to uh, he goes back to the Lord, and the Lord gives him uh, the new tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. Um, also, the Lord allows Moses to see his glory and um, and then the Lord reveals his identity to Moses in a very uh, famous passage that is often quoted because in this passage, God himself describes himself. And so I want to read that to you. It's in Exodus 34 and um, it's in verse, I think this is verse six and seven. And so it's the Lord here, it says, he passes in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. We talked about this scripture back in our 3D Bible series. Here God describes himself and his compassion and his love and that he forgives for um, for a thousand, you know, for he, he forgives rebellion and sin, but he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And this curious verse about the sin of the parents on the children and all. In the 21st century Christian, we live in such an individualistic society. And we're like, what? What does that mean? That sounds terrible. All it's saying is that the, the guilt of the family. Remember, this is a very group society. And it wasn't about the individuals. It was about the families that they come to the Lord. Um, as a family. And so it's saying here that uh, the, the guilt would be on the whole family um, for sin. And when we say third or fourth generations, it's saying it's meaning here the ones that are still alive. So the larger extended family, those alive at the time, um, are all come under the sin together. And, um, but Earlier, it says that he uh, forgives sin and he is a merciful God. So it doesn't mean that if they came to him for forgiveness, he wouldn't forgive. Do you understand? It's talking about an unrepentant uh, parent here that are leading their family in a very guilty and dangerous direction. So um, now um, we've had the covenant renewed. And we've had the tabernacle um, constructed. 
and um, the spirit of God, the presence of God comes down into the tabernacle and um, the voice of God is heard from the mercy seat. So we've had a very, very tumultuous time here of God has proposed marriage to his people. And they said, yes, we'll do it. And then when he comes down with the covenant, he finds they've already broken the covenant. But his forgiveness was there for those uh, that sought it. And so he reinitiated the covenant because God wanted to marry his people. He wanted a covenant relationship with his people. He wanted them to build the tabernacle so that he could come down and dwell in their midst and be their God. He is wanting relationship. And today he's still the same God and he's wanting relationship with you and me. And that is the lesson that we can take here from this tabernacle story. And um, and that he has prepared a place. Uh, he wants us to prepare a place for him in our hearts because he has prepared a place for us at the mercy seat through the blood of Jesus, that we are forgiven, that we can come and we can fellowship with him because of mercy and because of the price that has been paid on our behalf. The law portions um, of our scriptures are going to be covered later. Uh, the Daily Bible has organized our reading so that we're going to continue with the story of the Israelites next week uh, in their desert wanderings. And um, the editor of the Daily Bible has taken the law portions from Exodus and from the next book, Leviticus, and the next book, Deuteronomy, and has put it all together in a very organized and much easier to understand format. So uh, if you're following along in your regular Bible, you'll notice we're skipping over some of the laws in the book of Exodus. We'll pick them up later. So next week, uh, I'll see you back here. We will continue our story, our love story of God with his people in the wilderness and the way he prepares them to enter fully into the inheritance he has for them, the land of Canaan. But they still have some work to do before they'll be ready for that. So uh, we'll see you back here next week. And until then, God bless.